There comes a time in a person's life where they can no longer stay quiet and settle for less, instead standing up for what they believe in and taking a personal risk. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. In late August, after a federal conservative leadership race and rumblings of unhappiness and just ahead of the conservative policy convention, MP Maxime Bernier announced he was leaving the federal conservatives to form his own party. Some felt it was selfish, while others said it was a breath of fresh air for like-minded Tories. Bernier was a razor-close second to Andrew Scheer in the conservative leadership race, which could be interpreted as sour grapes, but highlights a bigger issue, the divide in the conservative party. Just 1% separated Scheer and Bernier. Now, those on the right side of the spectrum feel Bernier's move may split the vote and hand the next election to the Liberals. The new party launched by Bernier is the People's Choice Party of Canada, and the man behind it, Maxime Bernier joins us. Thank you for joining us, Maxime. Thank you very much. I appreciate this opportunity to be with you. Now, the Conservative Party, this is what you said, is is too intellectually and morally corrupt. Now, those can be interpreted as pretty harsh words. What makes it so? Well, first of all, morally corrupt. It's because they believe in something and they're not saying that to the population. A lot of members of parliament from, from the Conservative Party of Canada, uh, they don't, they don't like the, the cartel of supply management. As you know, it's the, the cartel that imposed uh, huge prices for dairy, poultry, and, and milk for, for Canadians. Uh, we are paying twice the price uh, for these products if we compare that with other countries. So, so privately, they're free markets and they want a free market there and uh, but publicly they're saying the opposite and at the same time also uh, I don't know what the, the conservatives believe in anymore because uh, before having a position they're doing a lot of focus group and uh, polling and all that uh, if they know what they believe in they don't have they don't have any reason to do polling uh, and actually uh, when I was uh, running for the leadership of the the Conservative Party of Canada a year and a half ago, uh, 49% of members voted for our platform, a real conservative platform with bold reform. And uh, w- when Andrew Scheer told me uh, a month ago that uh, they won't take any of our ideas to be part of the next platform for the for the, the election in 2019, I said to myself, uh, why staying with a party when you don't believe in the platform and when they don't want to listen to 49% of uh, their members? So I decided uh, I had two cho- choices at that time, to go back in the private sector or to uh, create our own party based on that uh, platform uh, about uh, more freedom and less government. And that's what I did. And I'm very, very happy. Uh, it's going very well up to now. What what makes the Conservative Party intellectually corrupt? Intellectually, it's it's uh, like just I said, you know, personally they believe in something, and publicly they are saying the opposite. So they are not honest with the population. I know that some MP uh, they came to me and said, "Oh, Maxim, you're right about the abolition of supply management," but you know we cannot say that because maybe we will uh, not win a couple of seats in Canada. So for them, it's more important to try to keep that cartel happy uh, and try to keep some seats in Quebec instead of working for 35 million Canadians. So that's not intellectually correct to do that. How long do you feel that the Conservative Party has been that way, intellectually, morally corrupt? Is it, can you place it at like one point in your political career where you said, this is wrong, this is not the way this party is supposed to be? 
But for sure, you know, I was a minister in the government under Stephen Harper, and I fight to uh, abolish. Uh, uh, abolish uh, subsidies to big business, uh, corporate welfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was not successful around the cabinet table. But at that time, uh, you know, uh, people in the party told me, Maxime, we didn't speak about that during the election. We don't have the mandate. And if you want to change that and to abolish corporate welfare, uh, it must come from the members. So at the next convention, try to put that on uh, for a debate. And if they voted for that, after that, at the party, maybe we can take that and run on it for an election and after that doing it. So I understood at that time that, you know, we didn't have the mandate to do that. But right now I was, I was asking the party to be on that side and to abolish all these subsidies that the government is giving to Bombardier and GM and all these big corporations. I said, we must stop that. And it's not fair for a small business entrepreneur in, in uh, uh, Toronto or in St. George de Beauce to, to pay taxes for, for after that, the government uh, giving that to th- these big corporations. These uh, small entrepreneurs, they won't receive any, uh, any grant from the government, but they are paying a lot of taxes. So I was not able to, uh, to convince uh, the members of the Conservative Party of Canada, and most importantly, the leadership and Andrew Scheer and the leadership to uh, take that position. So, you know, if you believe in free markets and, and freedom, because the conservative, our principle is for free, free, uh, freer markets and free markets, you must have policies that are in line with that. But uh, the, the keeping a cartel uh, in place for dairy, poultry, and eggs, it is not a, a free market policy. So that's why uh, I said to myself, uh, I don't have any time to waste. Uh, with the conservative anymore. Maxime Bernier is joining us. He is the founder of the People's Party of Canada and independent MP for Beauce, Quebec. Let's talk some party policy of the People's Party there, Maxime. And why do you feel the federal government should change its approach to health care, giving tax points to provinces instead of transfer payments? Because that would be the only way to have more innovation and more competition in the healthcare delivery of services. Uh, like in other countries in Europe, I don't want uh, us to have a healthcare delivery of services like in the U.S. Uh, but in Europe, you have uh, in France, in Sweden, and all these countries in Europe, they, the population, has, they, they are having better services for healthcare than in Canada. There's no uh, waiting times over there. So the way to improve that it's to be sure that provinces will be responsible for for health care because in the constitution, health uh, care it's uh, 100% a provincial jurisdiction. So what we are doing at the federal level, we are taxing Canadians and using that money, and after that transferring that to provinces for health care. But at the end, the citizen of Alberta, if they they don't like uh, the health care delivery of services and they don't like the waiting times, they don't know who to blame. Is it the federal government because we're not giving enough money to a province? Or is it the province because they're not able to manage the health care uh, services? So, so that, I want them to be responsible. I want the, province, the provinces to be responsible. So the way to do that, you lower your tax at the federal level. And as you know, I don't like taxes and mm-hmm. I don't like 
to tax Canadians. So you lower their tax and you let province tax for their own responsibility. And like that, the citizen of a province, they will know who to blame. They will blame the province. And if they need more money because they are not efficient, a province will have to tax more. But maybe politicians at the provincial level, they will think twice before taxing more their citizens, and they will try to develop other kind of services like in, in Europe, so maybe having a little bit more private delivery of services, but at the same time, keeping the universal coverage, and uh, we can have that, and it's, it's a better system than what we are having right now. So that would be the, the provinces that would be in charge to have less or more private delivery, and they'll be responsible for that, and at the same time, we will respect our constitution. So that's the best solution to improve uh, our health care delivery of services. And, you know, was, was this one of your ideas when you were still with the Conservative Party that got rejected by the party? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't try to uh, to uh, impose that on the party. I didn't push that for the party. I delivered a speech about it a uh, couple of maybe I think six years ago or seven years ago uh, about that. It was about respecting the constitution because the federal government like and and we did it when we were in government to interfere in provincial jurisdictions to buy votes and uh, but that's that's not respecting the constitution. So I had that idea before. But I didn't push that for being a part of the the agenda of the government because I knew that we didn't run on that and it's a big change and we must explain that to the population before doing it. So I'm ready to do it. That's why I like I like to be in politics. I like that kind of challenge. We know that policies who are based on individual freedom, personal responsibility, respect, and fairness are the best policies for the country. So I like to speak about it. And if people like it, they will come in our party. If they don't, they can vote for another party. And that's okay. That's the democracy. You also would like to see the airline industry in Canada open to foreign competition. Is there an appetite by foreign companies to enter the Canadian airline market? I think yes, when you will open the market, the cost is it is huge to travel inside the country. Mm-hmm. For for a Canadian traveling outside Canada, it's it's very competitive. But inside the country, it is not. Why? Because first of all, we have to privatize the airport, like in Australia. If an airport wants to invest and and being more efficient, the only way that they can raise money it's by taxing the airlines or taxing the consumers and they can also have, have a loan to but they cannot go to they cannot go on the capital market and, and, and having money from the capital market so maybe uh, that we must look at a, a full privatization and we don't have that right now we have half a privatization of the airport that will help and they will be able to raise money on the capital market instead of always charging more fees to uh, airlines and consumers uh, because at the end it is it is the people who's paying for that. So that's a reform that we can do. But at the same time, letting foreign uh, uh, corporation and foreign uh, uh, 
corporation to come here and to offer other services and having other airlines, a corporation that will compete against Air Canada and WestJet. So more competition, usually you have better services and lower prices. So that's a reform that we must do. The federal government, and the cost for the federal government, it is almost nothing. It's just to open for foreign investment and having more competition. So you can do that and you'll see what will happen. Maxime Bernier is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, the founder of the People's Party of Canada, the MP for Bosque, Quebec, and the telecom industry. You'd like to see regulations loosened. Which ones do you feel are hindering Canadians right now? Uh, you know, the one that is uh, the, the fees that we're paying for our cellular services, it is okay, but it can be lower, and we need more competition again. So uh, we have regulation that forbid a foreign telecom corporation to come to Canada. They cannot own 100% of a share uh, and, and being in Canada. They have to own only 20%. So we must abolish the, the rule against foreign ownership in telecommunication, and like that you'll have other telecommunication uh, corporation in the U.S. that will maybe want to come to Canada and to compete against the, the Bell uh, and Pillis. And so, so that's, that's about, if you believe in free markets, it must be open. And we, we are accepting foreign investment in, in other industry. Why restricting foreign investment in the telecom industry and in the aviation industry? So it must be open. When it's open, there's more investment, investment and more investment, better services and lower prices. Uh, you also suggest privatizing Canada Post, and we've we've heard that one before. But you know that might work in bigger centers. But you know, in small town Canada, the, that little post office is is a key part of the well, the fabric of the culture of that town. How how do you take that out of the town? First of all, uh, Canadians they don't use a lot uh, Post Canada. You know, with the email, and we're in twenty, we are in twenty eighteen right mm-hmm. now, and so Post we are using Post Canada during Christmas time, and you can have instead of having a post office, you can have a, an office in a in a, a grocery or, or a pharmacy, and so so you there's other there's there's other corporation that can compete there. So a privatization, why not? If we can save money, also it's costly to 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 have that so let, let's let's if you want to have a smaller government in ottawa you need to have reform that will uh, bring a smaller government and by privatization of a uh, canada post and also the reform with the cbc i want us to cut the budget of the cbc and the cbc being like the pbs in the state uh, people will be able to pay and if they like it and if not they won't so uh, that's why we are serious about a smaller government in Ottawa, a government that will respect the Constitution, because we are speaking about these uh, bold reforms that we need to do. Right now, the Conservative Party of Canada, they are saying, you know, we want to balance the budget. We don't know how long it will take and what they will do to balance the budget. They don't have a plan. They just have slogan. And for, for us, it's not slogan. We have a platform, a strong platform, to be, and we'll be able to deliver what we are saying, because we are speaking to Canadians and explaining our reform. And Canadian and I think they, they understand that if you are serious about a smaller government, you need to do these kind of reforms. Let's talk about immigration. You feel Justin Trudeau has made a mess of it with refugees crossing from the U.S. to Canada and primarily into Quebec. How would the People's Party of Canada address this file? 
Well, first of all, we're going to sit down. We have to sit down with the, with the U.S. and look at the safe third country agreement. There's a loophole there. We must fix that. Uh, the government is saying, uh, first of all, the relationship with the U.S. right now, it is not going very well. As you know, yesterday, President Trump uh, didn't want to have any meeting with Justin Trudeau on NAFTA. That's very important. Uh, and because Justin Trudeau doesn't want to give the cartel of supply management that would be good for Canadian consumers, they will save. They will save money. But you know, I don't understand. I'm the only MP in Ottawa who fight for Canadians' con- consumers and 35 million of of Canadians. But that being said, our relationship with the U.S., it is not looking very good right now. And so the Trudeau government, they cannot sit at the same table with the Trump administration and having a, having a look at, uh, with that uh, old third country, uh, safe, safe third country agreement. Uh, and we must change that. We must fix the loophole. So first. Second, the, um, the people who are coming uh, to the border near Quebec, uh, the government is telling us that maybe 40 5% of them, they're not real refugee. So we'll have to do something about that. That's a big cost for the economy. These people will stay in Canada for almost two years and they will have a decision. Why not having a, a decision right now? And if they're not real refugees, they, they must go back sooner to their country. We want to help the real refugees. We want to help refugees that are waiting in a refugees camp in, 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 a, in, in a country. And they that's unfair for them. So we must fix that. And I think the first thing to do is to sit down with the U.S. and looking at that at, at that challenge that we're having together. Uh, and I think we'll be able to do that. But the Trudeau government is not able to do that. They're not able to have a deal with NAFTA. So it would be very difficult for them to solve that. Now, you brought up NAFTA and you've been critical of the government's handling of it. But other than giving up supply management to the U.S., what else would you concede? That's it. That's what, you know, the President Trump is saying a lot of things on Twitter. Someday it will, he will say something on Monday and maybe Friday he will say the opposite. But on NAFTA, he's saying all, all, he is saying all, always the same thing. He's saying, you know, Canada must get, get rid of this, uh, his, uh, our tariff of 300% on dairy. He, he said that for the last six months. So they want that. And that will be good. Just put that on the table. But no, what the Trudeau government and the Conservative, all together, they have the same strategy. They said we must stand up uh, uh, against uh, Donald Trump. And uh, no, that's not the solution. We must sit down with him, sit down at the table and, and giving, yes, abolishing that cartel uh, on a transition period of four years. And, and that will be good for Canadian consumer, consumers. And we won't, we won't put at risk 20% of our economy because, as you know, 20% of our GDP is depending on our trade relations with the U.S. So it's, it's crazy what's happening right now. The Trudeau government, they're having the solution, but they don't want to do that because they're saying, maybe we're going to lose some seat in Quebec or some seats in Ontario. You know, you need a government that will speak for the, our national interest, and the national interest is to give that. And I'm sure that if the Trudeau government is giving that, it will be, first of all, we will be able to have a deal, and second, it will be very good for our economy and for Canadian consumers. All right, let's look a little further down the road, Max. Seems some Conservatives feel you'll split the vote and hand the next election to the Liberals. Do you see it that way? 
<laughs> but first, I must say, is there a, a real conservative party? Is is the mm. the conservative party of Canada? He, 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 I don't know if there's a, if they are a real conservative party. But that being said, <laughs> what we want our, our our party is to have people who believe in our ideas based on individual freedom, personal responsibility, respect, and fairness, and all our policies are in line with these principles. And so, we, yes, I hope we'll have a lot of support from the conservative, and we are we are having right now a lot of support from them. But I'm not looking only for having support from conservative. We can have the support of some NDP that voted NDP, but they can vote for us if they want to help the poor. We want to abolish the cartel of supply management. That would be good for the poor. We want to abolish the corporate welfare. That would be good for a small business entrepreneur. We can have some these kind of people. We can have also the support of people who voted for uh, Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin a couple of years ago because they balanced the budget and they lower taxes. The liberal of today are not the liberal of yesterday. So these people, we want to balance the budget. We will balance the budget in two years from now. We have a plan on taxation. We have an idea about the tax system. We don't want to use the people's money and giving a small boutique tax credit to every special interest group in Canada. So we will do the opposite. We will have a fair fiscal policy. So we can have these people. But the most important for us, at the last federal election, 30% of the population didn't vote. 30% didn't vote at the last election. So why? I think because they don't believe in politicians anymore. They don't believe in a politician who, 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 who doesn't believe in anything and has to do polling to, do what, what will be, to, to know what will be their platform, like the conservative, or saying something Friday and the opposite Monday. So we are doing politics differently. We don't try to pander to every special interest group, like the cartel of supply management. We don't want to do that. We are doing policy, politics, and, and we are having policies for all Canadians. So that's very different. And maybe we can have these people can come back and vote for us. So what I'm saying to these conservatives that are saying we are splitting the vote, I'm saying, come with us. We have the momentum, and we just started the party, and we are around 10% in the poll right now. And, and, and so it's only the beginning, and it's going very well. We have a lot of support from all across the country. So I think at the end we'll be able to demonstrate to these people that we are the real alternative. And don't, don't forget, if you look what happened in France, uh, uh, President Macron was a socialist uh, less than a year before the presidential election. I'm, I'm not a socialist, but that's an example. And, uh, and he decided to create his own party, and now he's, a president, uh, he's the president of France. So that can happen. I think people are fed up with traditional politicians, and, and uh, they want somebody who's telling the truth. And I don't have any fear to create any debates or to debate things that must be debated for uh, the better of our country. Now, starting a new party is not inexpensive. How much have you raised for for, uh, the People's Party so far? But in 20 days, we raised $140,000 only in 20 days. So that's going very well. And we have more money now, but we'll do an official announcement in a couple of weeks from now about the money that we raised. And I'm very happy. I want to thank everybody who are giving to our party. And if people want, they can go on peoplespartyofcanada.ca and give, give us money. But I'm very happy because at the same time, we cannot issue any tax uh, receipt right now because we're not officially 
approved by Election Canada, and it will come maybe in a month or one and a half from now. So, but uh, people are giving money without receiving any tax receipts, so that's great. But we'll do a press conference in a couple of maybe two weeks from now, uh, and we'll we'll uh, update you with with the money that we raise. And I think that will be a, a good announcement. But also on the membership, uh, the membership of our party, people they have until the first of November to become a funding member uh, of our party. And after that, it will be $5 for a year. But our goal is to have a lot of funding members all across the country. And we need that if we want to be competitive with the other uh, uh, parties. And we'll be able at that press conference in a couple of uh, days from now to tell you the amount. But that will be, uh, people will be surprised. We have a lot of support. And, uh, and right now, I'm building the head office uh, in uh, Ottawa region in Gatineau. And we have three people working full-time there. Next week, I'll do other interviews to have more people. So it's going very well. And our goal right now, our short-term goal, is to have writing association up and running uh, all across the country in 338 writings before the end of this year. And that will be the foundation of the party. And after that, in January, we will uh, look for nomination and having candidates in every writing. So it's, it's going well. It's a big task, but I'm very, very happy with the, the result and the support that we're receiving from, uh, from Canadians. Maxime Bernier, I want to thank you for joining us. But thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to speak to your audience. And uh, if you need something, don't hesitate to call us. I'll be happy to be back with you. Maxime Bernier is the MP for Bose Quebec, who now sits as an independent. He's the founder of the People's Party of Canada. As mentioned, there's a feeling that Bernier's new party will do nothing but leave the Conservatives in opposition after the 2019 vote. To delve a little deeper into that, I am pleased to be joined by David Coletto of Abacus Data, which took a look at potential impacts of this new party. And David, thank you for joining us. When you did look at this and its potential intentions we're talking about, it is early. How did the People's Party impact federal numbers? Well, soon after um, Mr. Bernier left the Conservative caucus, remember that sort of eventful press conference, we, we went into the field right after that weekend, before he even had named a party or anything like that, and found that there was sizable uh, potential for him. 13% of respondents said they would vote for Bernier's party after we gave them a description of some of the issues he would highlight, that being you know, reducing immigration levels, getting rid of supply management, and um, taking, uh, you know, really working with Trump much closely to get NAFTA done, taking a much more conciliatory approach. And so there was, a, there was an audience for it. More recently, um, again, just as he was announcing the name of his new party at the, uh, in mid-September, we asked people, okay, now if we include Bernier, how would you vote? The number dropped um, somewhat, but still sizable enough that that yeah, I think it was you know eight percent or seven percent of respondents said they would vote for Maxime Bernier, which suggests um, again there's an audience for him. Nine percent of Canadians have a positive impression of him. Thirty-two percent view him negatively, so he's far more uh, has a far more negative impression than positive. But that nine percent is important, not because it's enough to become prime minister or, or win a lot of seats. But the real question is, does he spoil things for the conservatives? And our data to this point suggests if he's able to get this enterprise off the ground, 
uh, he he could be a real threat to conservative fortunes uh, in the next election. Now, you asked Canadians about Bernier's view on the conservatives and his quote was being morally and intellectually corrupt. Uh, more than half agreed, including more than 20 percent of conservative supporters. I would have thought that would have translated into higher numbers for him. Well, I think it's it, it's still at the time we did that survey, everything we talked about was hypothetical. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to keep in mind that, that even a lot of conservative voters, those who would typically vote conservatives, may not have been well aware that Mr. Bernie had left the party or um, that, that he was going to form his own movement or anything like that. So I think I think we have to give Canadians a little more credit that even though they may agree with many of the things he was saying, they weren't ready to, yet to vote for uh, a party that Mr. Bernier led. Nonetheless, there was still a lot of potential support there. There were still a lot of people. Um, and again, it wasn't all conservatives, I'll say. Uh, mm-hmm. What was interesting from the research we've done is that while he attracts more support uh, from those who would have otherwise voted conservative, he also pulls significant support from the liberals as well, which means there, is, there are some voters out there who would normally vote liberal, maybe they identify as liberal, that also say, well, I like what he's saying. I like that he's trying to be different, or I like that he's saying, he's talking about things that no other party in Canada is talking about. And that, if anything, is, is I think, both from Mr. Bernier's perspective, the opportunity he has, from all of the major parties' perspective, the threat that he poses is that he has nothing to lose, and so will go all out to you know, try to capture 15 to 20 percent of the vote, which would probably be a realistic goal for him, because he knows that you know going from zero to majority government or even minority government is is very unlikely or almost impossible to do. David Coletto of Abacus Data joining us as uh, Abacus took a look at federal numbers after Maxime Bernier announced his creation of a new political party and. Abacus Data did uh, some checking with Canadians on their perspective on the intentions. Now, which issues work in the favor of Bernier's new party? Well, I think I, I, I frankly don't think supply management is you know has the the country uh, on edge and and thinking about it. It's it's for some people a really important issue, but it's it's one he's he puts in the window all the time. But I don't think it's the one. And we've seen other we we've done research that shows you know most Canadians think they pay. Uh, about the same as others on on, on milk, hey, they actually support the idea of making sure farmers uh, get a living wage. Those things aren't aren't, um, I think, really salient for him. Where is there's potential? Is you know concerns around immigration, concerns around diversity. Um, in the research that that we do, you know, we see a sizable minority, still a minority of Canadians, who feel that, for example they may not recognize Canada anymore. They, they agree with that statement or feel that immigrants are a burden today on society. And so given that he may be the only party or the only leader out there talking about that in a much more uh, aggressive way, right? Not, not mm-hmm. just using kind of coded language sometimes that other parties might use, but, but actually coming straight out and saying, I'm going to reduce immigration. I'm not comfortable with extreme multiculturalism. There's a there's a there's an audience for that in Canada. It's not it's not big, uh, but it's big enough that um, it can it can resonate. And I think that is he's seen I think uh, the opportunity there and the potential for that. And of the issues he talks about, that is the number one uh, connection. I don't think uh, in the same survey we asked about Bernier last month or in, sorry this month, we asked people what they think about Donald Trump, and Donald Trump has 
like an 80% negative rating in Canada. No one really likes Donald Trump. So I, I, if I was advising Mr. Bernier, I wouldn't say don't hook your, your, your wagon onto Mr. Trump's popularity. So I don't think he'll play that card too much. I think it's the immigration and diversity and multiculturalism angle that, that he recognizes there is, there is potential there for him. In terms of demographics, which, uh, which work in favor of uh, Bernier's new party? It's interesting. There's no one group that really stands out, but he has appeal among younger, particularly younger men um, and, and older Canadians. Uh, regionally, there's no one part of the country that likes him more than less. He's more well-known in Quebec, which is understandable given that he's an MP from, from, from that province. But, um, you know, Quebecers aren't more in love with him or feel good about him than Albertans or British Columbians. And so that suggests, he, you know, from one angle, he has a lot of work to do. Um, there's no one natural constituency from a demographic or regional perspective that he can speak to. On the flip side, I think he'll have appeal in large parts of this country and with, with across the spectrum uh, of, of different demographic groups. And so, again, there it's, we're all it's all hypothetical now. He doesn't have candidates running in every riding. The election hasn't started, but there's there's probably enough uh, out there for him in, in different groups that he could you know, start to build a coalition of of voter groups that aren't all from one category or all aren't all from one region of the country. That kind of makes him a little tough to defend against too. If when you're running against him in the next election, right? Cause you don't, you, you can't really target right in on one group. Exactly. I mean, you, you could probably, I mean, because of the issues he's going to accentuate and talk about, he, even though in our data, we, we say liberals might, you know, liberal voters might be, uh, might find some of what he's saying appealing He's really speaking to a conservative audience. So, you know, the conservatives need to be the most concerned mm-hmm. about the potential for him to, to steal some of their voters and, and appeal to them in a way that he has been trying to do. But you're right. There's no, there's no obvious group that you need to speak to or defend against. On the flip side, because our system requires you to win seats and win votes in a concentrated manner, if he has a natural constituency regionally, right, new upstart parties, they do well, like the Reform Party or the Bloc Québécois. They do well when they have a, 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 a concentrated regional base. Uh, Mr. Bernier, based on our polling to date, doesn't have that. So he may get across the board 5%, 6%, up to 10%, maybe, you know, in, 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 in really good circumstances. But that may not translate into any seats, perhaps even, even, even his own. He may not be able to pull uh, that out. And that, that means he will have an impact on the outcome maybe get no representation in the House of Commons. Now, how, how is uh, Maxime Bernier's impact uh, interest being engaged uh, along provincial lines? Quebecers, because he's from Quebec, know him better. At least they say they know him better than other Canadians. About one out of four Canadians across the country say they don't really know who he is or don't have enough knowledge to, to have an impression of him. That drops to about 18% in Quebec. So Quebecers, because he has been in the province and been active in politics in Quebec for some time, He's, he's more well-known, but he's not more well-liked. Uh, in fact, more Quebecers have a negative view than any other region of the country. What's interesting, again, about Mr. Bernier is, he, you know, whether you're talking about Alberta, which is a nationally more conservative province, or Ontario, or Atlantic Canada, you're talking about a range from 7 to 12% of each province that has a positive impression of him. That suggests there's no regional base. There's no stronghold, no potential stronghold for Mr. Bernier. And so his appeal 
crosses all provinces, but is also not concentrated enough, I think, to convert into to a lot of seats at this point. You know, a lot of people talk about the launch of this party, obviously spawned out of uh, being upset with the Conservative Party. We saw this back in the 90s with the Reform Party and the Canadian Alliance. Now, is the fact that he has no regional support, no one def- defined regional support, the difference you see between this situation today and then with the Reform Alliance, which was pretty solid in Alberta? Um. I, I see op- I see opportunities to to align himself with some of those provincial movements. Um, you know, think of what just happened for for your listeners if they're following the New Brunswick political mm-hmm. scene, which yeah. most of us may not normally. But there's some interesting stuff happening there. There was an upstart kind of populist party called the People's Alliance that you know, if you think of the name, sounds similar to what Mr. Bernier is offering. And 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 if anything, Mr. Bernier is creating a vehicle that allows those who are frustrated with the political system in any way to protest it, right? And mm-hmm. Preston Manning in the late 80s and early 90s effectively did that with the Reform Party. To some extent, the Bloc, although it was ideologically driven towards separation, was also an outlet to let Quebecers frustrated with Mulroney and, and the Meech Lake and Charlottetown Accords, you know, express that frustration and that protest. Uh, Bernier, um, uh, can tap into that. And we've seen it in different provinces, not, not all provinces, but in some like Alberta with the Wild Rose Party and in, in New Brunswick more recently with the People's Alliance, that again, it's not everybody, it's not a majority of the voters, but there's a sizable minority who may just want to vote for him because he's a rabble rouser and looking to disrupt the apple cart. What trends will you be following to gauge the impact of the People's Party of Canada heading into the next federal election? Well, I think there's two from a public opinion perspective. We're going to continue to track to see whether people, you know, uh, get to know Mr. Bernier, warm to him or not, um, whether people are open, more open to voting for his party or not. Those are all kind of metrics that they matter almost more than whether if we ask the ballot question, how would you vote today if the election were held today? Um, th- that matters less than someone's willingness or openness to voting for the party. That's from the public opinion perspective. There's also the, the actual organizational side uh, of, of this very difficult task that Mr. Bernier faces. He's got to recruit candidates. He's got to raise money. He's got to build a party infrastructure basically from nothing. Um, and while he has his leadership campaign to kind of build off of, he doesn't have a uh, sort of a, a brain trust, a strategic team that man, many of those who supported him during the leadership of the conservatives aren't with him now. And so, you know, all of the public opinion data we, we reference today is all hypothetical and dependent on whether he can actually build an organization. So I think if you're observing this and trying to get a sense of what's his true impact going to be, he, he asked, you know, he has to, in order to vote for Mr. Bernier's party in our system, there has to be a candidate in your, running in your constituency. So he's got to find a way to recruit candidates that, that are running everywhere. He's got to find a way to raise some money and, um, then I think we can take this polling data far more seriously as we get closer to that election. David, I want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Ed. Thank you. I want to thank David Coletto of Abacus Data for joining us to look at the potential impact of a new center-right party on Canadian politics. Now it's time to hear from you. We want to know, is the People's Party of Canada a viable alternative for your vote in the next federal election, no matter who you voted for? in 2015. Yes or no, you can log on to unpublished.vote 
and make your voice heard. I want to thank David Coletto of Abacus Data for joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, as well, MP Maxime Bernier and the founder of the People's Party of Canada, and joined us on the Unpublished Cafe. Thanks for listening. I'm Ed Hand.